Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Surge. It is Compassion Sunday, and I am very excited. We are continuing our colloquium series, A Meeting of the Minds, some great thoughts um, that are gospel adjacent. I am E. Reese, the executive pastor of The Surge, and I'm going to move very quickly. So if you would, make sure your seatbelts are fastened, your tray tables are in the upright and locked position, because I'm going to go really, really fast. I'm going to talk even faster than normal this morning, if that's possible. So I want to read quickly from the book of Luke, and I want to talk to you about Generosity. So this is Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. It's the story of Zacchaeus. So Jesus is the he. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, where he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, so here's where we're starting. Here's where we're going to land. It's this. This is the one thought I want to just hit you between the eyes with. It's this. Generosity is not something we do. Generosity is not something we do. It's who Jesus is. It's who Jesus is. I want you to wrap your head around the idea of generosity as a person. So in this story, I want to, I'm just going to go very fast. I want to see four things. The first thing is this. Jesus came to Zacchaeus before he was all cleaned up. He was still, he was still all, all messed up. The crowd didn't like it, did not like it. Zacchaeus responded to the call of God with generosity. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the idea of a gospel generosity and, and, and a thought there. So at this time, uh, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, but understand that this was, it wasn't as much taxes like we think about taxes today. This was basically protection money. You know, hey, that's a nice town you got there in Nazareth. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. The Romans, were, this was occupied territory. It was basically protection money. It was a shakedown. And, and it, was, it was to fund empire, and honestly, it was to keep people oppressed and to keep them from causing trouble. Because if they were worried about you know, paying you know, a, a huge amount of the percentage of taxes and looking for something to eat, they weren't really rising up against the Romans. And tax collectors were notoriously corrupt. They abused their office. And Zacchaeus in this story was no different. He was rich, and he was rich, to be clear, from oppressing people like carpenters, like Jesus' dad, like Jesus himself, like the disciples that were walking around. But Jesus engages him. He engages him. And even though he was rich, he comes to his house, and he does this before Zacchaeus gets anything right. It's before he cleans up, before he does anything well, before he stops being corrupt. Jesus comes to us before we do anything right. And God bless whoever that siren is for. <laughs> Lord be with him. Um, second, the crowd didn't like it. Uh, it turns out, if you've been on Facebook lately, hating rich people on Facebook, it's not new. It's been around for 2,000 years. People have hated the rich for thousands of years. And some of that is simple resentment. Some of that's envy when we get it. That guy is stupid and corrupt. Why does he get to have all the nice things, right? And we, and we feel that way. Some of it runs deeper than that, and that can be dangerous. But this is the point. Jesus doesn't hate Zacchaeus. He doesn't shun capitalism. He doesn't even hate corrupt capitalists. Isn't that, isn't that extraordinary? He loves them just like he loves the poor. 
just like he loves you and me. He engages both. He loves both. He understands that rich people and poor people need him to get back to God. Now, our, our culture tells us to hate people, to hate rich people, but don't you do it. Love them, right? James talks to us about this specifically. He says, forget about the money for a minute and just focus on the person. Third thing is this, by the numbers, um, Zacchaeus responds by the numbers. He was a numbers guy. He was a tax collector. Um, he had lots of things going on. And in the Old Testament, it says this, that you should give 10% of your income. You should tithe. But, but Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give 50%. He's going to give a lot more. And it's important in this context. And he says, if you stole from someone in Leviticus, there's this really cool law. If you stole from someone, if, you, if, if someone steals your car by Leviticus, you buy them a new car plus 20%. You like a, a full tank of gas, right? You know, you, you could get them some more stuff. So, so you, re, you restore it plus 20%, which is a really good idea. But Zacchaeus is not doing 120%. He's doing 400%. He's doing so much more than the law requires, which is incredible. But <laughs> this is consistent with the nature of the gospel. Look. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he's, he's talking to people about the, the nature of the new thing that is coming. And he says, look, in the law it says, no adultery. He says, but I say, I say, don't even think about it. Don't even go there in your mind for too long. The law says, don't, don't murder people. But, but Jesus says, don't even think about smacking Chris Rock on the stage. <laughs> don't even get angry in your mind. Just don't even get angry in the sort of way that would want, how you want to kill somebody. And here's the point. Grace, grace, terrifyingly, always demands more than the law did. <laughs> it always demands more than the law. And so if you apply it to, to generosity, this lands us in a place we don't want to hear. So that 10% of tithing, we go, well, that's the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. I'm not bound by the legal of the Old Testament. Yeah, but guess what? By grace, if you apply the thinking that, that if we follow it through, 10% is the floor. It's not the ceiling. It's the floor. It's not the ceiling. Law says you should give 10% with some other special offerings. You should do this and that. But what Jesus is saying is much worse. It's much, much worse. What he's saying is you have to mean it. <laughs> he's saying you have to want to give. He wants your heart. He doesn't just want a number. The fruit of the Spirit is generosity. God loves a cheerful giver. God actually wants us to want to give, which is much, much worse than actually you know, grumbling and, and giving a number. The old way was a number. The new way is asking God to want to give in your heart. And this is terrible news. Terrible, terrible news. And I don't mean to be so happy about it, but, but when you understand what Zacchaeus understood, it changes the game. And the game-changing thought is this. Generosity is not something we do. It's who Jesus is. It's not something we do. It's who Jesus is. It's generosity as a person. Look, there's a difference between, Duane has said this, you've heard me say it, we'll say it again, because it's, it, it's true. There's a difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other ethical, moral framework of thought. Everything else says this. You do stuff, you do stuff, and then you get the reward, right? You do stuff, and then you get the reward. You meditate for 40 years in Tibet, and you get to be enlightened, right? Or you pray five times a day, you pilgrimage to the holy place, and you get to not burn in hell forever. You know, you do some stuff, and then you get something at the end of it. But, but Jesus is saying something else to us. He's not saying follow these seven steps, and your corporate life will improve. He's saying something else. In this story, in verse 9, there's this, there's this tiny little detail that is everything. It is everything. Jesus, when Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give this extraordinary amount of money, everybody goes, wow, that's pretty good. And Jesus says this. He says this. Salvation has come to this house. Has come. Past tense. Past tense. Now, what we would expect Jesus to say is this. 
Well, that's pretty good, Zacchaeus. You've been corrupt for a long time. You've been oppressing the people in this area. You're going to give away some money. That's really good. Keep doing that, and you'll be less covered in crap, and you can eventually work your way back up into God's graces. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, nope, salvation has come. It's already done. It's not that, Zacchaeus, you're giving money so that salvation comes to your house. It's like, no, salvation has already come to the house because Jesus has come to the house because generosity is a person, and Zacchaeus is able to respond. It's not that Zacchaeus does these generous things so he gets to be saved. Nope. Through this encounter with Jesus, he is already saved, and in his response, he becomes generous, and things flow from there. So when we think about being redeemed, we get this upside down. The crowd is right. The crowd is right. We are sinners. We are terrible. We have no business sitting down with Jesus, the King of Heaven, and we have no business sitting down and spending time with him or getting anything from him. But generosity as a person gives us the chance to sit down and connect. We don't have the power to get it right on our own, but generosity gives us the power to become children of God. We don't have righteousness on our own, but generosity gives us righteousness through Jesus. So the fruits of the Spirit is the same thing. Love, joy, peace. These things don't come through an increase of effort, not through climbing harder. They come as gifts of God. They come as gifts of God. You know, I'm not going to be more like Sam Kennison. It's like I'm going to be more peaceful, more peaceful. Ah! Ah! You know, that's not how this works. Just relax. This isn't from grinding. This isn't from grinding. Let go. Breathe. Let God do his thing. You'll be more loving and peaceful will appear. So here's what I want you to do. Okay. In your head, in your head, in your heart right now, I want you to take generosity out of the bucket of this is stuff I do, something I'm doing. I'm take it, take it out of the bucket. And I want you to put it into the bucket of <laughs> past tense Zacchaeus already done bucket. Generosity has come to this house. It's already done. Already done. It came with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to effort your way into it. Let it go. Stop trying to force yourself. I'm going to be more generous. I'm going to do it. It's like, stop it. Let just cut it out. God gives you generosity just like he gives you righteousness, just like he gives you peace, just like he gives you joy, just like he gives you salvation. You can't do anything to earn it, and you can't do it on your own. God gives you the ability to be generous in the way that Zacchaeus is being generous. Relax. Let God do his thing. You'll find your heart is full. You'll find that giving stuff away becomes really easy. It actually becomes kind of fun. <laughs> you actually really enjoy it. And, and as a practical point, this is Compassion Sunday. And we're going to give you an opportunity to sponsor a child in the Yucatan region of Mexico. Um, the child that our family sponsors in that area is named Christian. He is awesome. He is wonderful. Our family is deeply, deeply honored to be a small part of what God is doing in his life. And as a bridge to that, this morning, we have an interview with a lady named Olive Aneno, who was a graduate of the Compassion Program in Uganda. So I'd like to play um, that. But she's going to give us her story, and then Brady will walk us through the specifics of how to connect. But I want you to consider, I want you to really consider, pray as, as you hear Olive's story. Pray and see if God would have you sponsor a child this morning. Just ask this question, God, what do you want me to do? And then I want you to go for it. Let's play all this story. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Surge Compassion Sunday. I just want to welcome Brady Rose, who is the Church Relations Director for Compassion International in our region. And I'd also like to welcome a very special welcome to Olive Oneño, who was a graduate of the Compassion Program. Now, she's going to share with us a few details about her story, and it's going to be extraordinary. So without further ado, Olive... Uh, would you tell us a little bit about how you, uh, your, some of your experiences as a child? 
So before I was able to interact with compassion, life was really very different for me. And um, growing up in a small town in Muchwini, northern part of Uganda, it was a it was a very happy environment from my childhood. Childhood, a meaning from let's say one to about five years old. It was happy. Uh, we used to play a lot. No school. And uh, when I turned five, things changed very drastically. Where um, a rebel group from uh, the northern part of Uganda, which it was called a Lord's Resistance Army, and uh, the leader was Joseph Kony, and some of the young people were very aware of uh, LRA. And uh, LRA attacked my home area and the children were abducted and taken to a camp to become child soldiers. And for me at the age of, of five years old, it was something that I didn't really see or understand that was going on. And um, therefore lots of emotional changes and uh, fear. There was a lot of fear. And I remember my grandparents to make sure that the grandchildren were safe. They would line up blankets in the corner of their hut and then give instructions to go hide in the forest. And um, in the evening would pick up our blankets. We were eight grandchildren living with my grandparents and we had to hide to not be captured by this rebel group and then come back in the morning. And I remember one morning we came back and all the five huts that we had in our homestead was burnt to the ground. And therefore, again, that started a totally different life of movement, of wandering, moving from place to place and not really knowing where we were going. But for sure, we were looking for safety. We were looking for peace. We were looking for love. Um, that, that was uh, thanks for sharing that, Olive. That was that was powerful. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, Pastor E would. And, and congregation would be curious, like what what that transition looked like. I mean, so that's that's kind of like where things. Maybe share a little bit about how things changed for you, like when you went down south, and and what how the Lord kind of met you there, and and kind of where your story goes from that point. When I went down south of the capital city, um, I went to my mother. My mother at this point had another child, my youngest sister, Charity. And she lived in a one-bedroom home. She was a nurse. By that time, she wasn't really uh, practicing. She was at home because visibly you could tell something was going on with her. Something was bothering her. She was struggling with something that she did not have power over. And um, she was very skinny, very pale, barely talked. It was a one-bedroom home. And she uh, slept in the bedroom. Me and my two sisters, Charity and Juliet, we slept in uh, what we call the living room area, which was the size of a queen, um, a queen size bed. It was a papyrus mat on the ground. And uh, after about, about six months, things changed so bad that she could not even come out of her, her, her room to use the bathroom. And I remember one morning she got up. She got up and handed me this um, uniform. It looked like a uniform because it was it was uh, blue and white that was made out of leftover a uniform for her for work. And she handed it to me and told me to put it on. I didn't really know what to think of it, but I I followed. I put the uniform on the dress on, and she told me, "I'm taking you to church. I'm taking you to Kampala Baptist Church." 
And Kampala Baptist Church that I know is about 12 kilometers away. And we were walking. I didn't really believe her because she was so frail and she was so weak, but she got up and we walked to the church. And when we got to the church, we were of course very tired. She went to the right to a different office uh, where the parents were going. And uh, the, on the left-hand side of the entrance of the church was a lion. And there was about 20, 22 children lined up and I was the 23rd. So I lined up at the back. And this was a very different environment for me because from going from place to place, trying to find safety and spiritually hungry to uh, not seeing smiling children for two years, just being in a traumatic environment. Now I'm in a totally separate environment where the children are smiling and laughing. So this was the very first time in two years that I had seen children being children. It, 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 it kind of excited me as well. And as I got to the front of the line, I got, um, I got this wooden board, it was rectangular and it had numbers and letters on it, UG1270188. My picture ended up being made into a child packet and it ended up in Hill Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia. And I got a letter. I got a letter from a family that went to the table and they picked up the packet and they signed up to sponsor me. And they said, we love you, we love children. And we will do everything in our power to release you from poverty in Jesus' name. You see, at that point of desperation, I believed everything they said. Because deep within my heart, I knew that it was just the beginning. God was beginning a transformation the very moment I stepped on at this church. And uh, not just letters, my compassion sponsors were able to provide me with the very first pair of shoes. I was able to see a doctor. I was able to see a dentist. I was also able to start school. I was able to get a mattress instead of the papyrus mat that we had on our floor. Now we had a mattress and a blanket and we had food. But above all, that joy that I had experienced being in Christ at a young age, it was beginning to be restored. I started therapy. I started discipleship. And this was only possible because I was in the compassion program. And also it's, it, it's, it was a very different experience where if every Saturday would go to the project and uh, it was home. It was home. It wasn't just a church, it was home. It was somewhere where we did not want to live. We didn't want to leave. We wanted to stay there the whole day, every day, because it was a place of peace. And so I got to know my sponsors. My sponsor dad also wrote me letters and the letters were more so instructional. Instructional in a way that she, he would say, I hope that you're spending the money that we sent well. I hope that you're doing well at school. I needed that. I needed both perspective from both my sponsor mom and my sponsor dad. So it was the three of us and my mom. My mom began this thing that I hadn't seen her do. She began singing. 
singing, it is well, it is well with my soul. And those were her last words. She died of HIV AIDS. So all along, everything that my sister was doing, wearing the gloves and my mom secluding herself in her room, she knew that it was the best for her to stay that way. I needed reassurance. And the, the reassurance that came was from my compassion sponsors. They reassured me that the work that God started in me by them starting to sponsor me was just the beginning of something beautiful. My sponsor mom would send letters in form of, they were prayers. They were just prayers, prayers that I needed. My grandfather said, don't remember the bad things that have happened in the past. God still has you in the palms of your hands, of his hands. And God indeed always has me in the palms of his hands. And that was confirmation. And so I left the hospital and came back to school and joined the volleyball team again. And I was one of the, the three that was recruited to play for South Carolina State University. And uh, that's how I ended up here in the US. And I majored in social work and later on went to, uh, to get a master's in social work from the University of Georgia. So for me, my life is not my life. It's God's life in me. So yeah, my life was changed because God believed in programs like Compassion International to not just meet the physical need of children, but also to release children from spiritual poverty. So you may ask, what promise was fulfilled from that very first letter? So from that very first letter that my compassion sponsors sent, remember in the beginning I did say, I believed everything they said. We love you, we love children, and we will release you from poverty in Jesus' name. And five years ago, we were at a women's conference and my son walked up to me and uh, he said, mom, you're always talking about poverty. What is poverty? What is poverty? That was a fulfillment of that promise. That poverty indeed ended with me. And no one after me has to experience the physical poverty or the spiritual poverty. So yes, that is God's words in my life and walking with me daily. And even to this day, he continues to walk with me as I stay in the palms of his hands. What, what song would you want played as you enter the room? Like the president has hailed to the chief. Um, the, the queen has a song that's, that's played before she enters the room. If you had a song, what song would it be? What song should be played if I'm coming to a room? I would say the exact same song that my mom sung. It 
it is well. It is well with my soul. And regardless of everything that I have gone through, I can faithfully say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Olive, I just want to thank you for sharing that with us. What an extraordinary story. Um, I thank you for your vulnerability and for your heart and for your courage, frankly. I, I, I can see that even now sharing the story means a lot to you. Um, so thank you again for that. The thing that I, I do want to say is I want to commend you uh, because it seems to me that when you're able to share this story in this kind of way, um, God is able to take what you've endured and inf infuse that with a redemptive energy so that you're connecting future generations of Compassion Kids to sponsors and that you're a very much a part of that process. So that you being willing to bear this story again or to bear these memories again actually becomes filled with hope and filled with meaning. So I just want to thank you for that. And it's deeply appreciated. So I actually have a, uh, a compassionate child in Uganda. Uh, her name is Barbara, and it's our, it's our honor to, to be with her. Um, what would you say to Barbara at this point? I would say, Barbara, that she's exactly where she needs to be. And not to forget, experiences might happen. She might go through hard times. But God is always there. Christ is always there protecting her. And not to lose hope. Not to lose hope in Christ. Because once you walk the journey, the harvest, the harvest is great. The harvest is fun. The harvest is, uh, is, is bright. It's very, very bright. The harvest is impacting. Being willing to share some of those personal things, uh, it shows that you you really do uh, worship Christ and you really do believe in uh, the ministry of compassion and what their uh, what their heart is to release children from poverty. And uh, you've made it about so much more than just money. You you've pointed to like like what sponsorship can lead to, and it can lead to hope um, because as we know, because governments all over the world have dumped tons and tons and tons of money into countries that money alone isn't the answer it's how is that money used and and what what comes along with that and what came along yeah. with that from you was an empowered local church in uganda that were given tools to on a much deeper level impact your life with the gospel with mentorship of course healthcare, food and all those things and uh, and that's the story of the Good Samaritan. That's, that's all the way through the whole Bible. That's that's the, that's what he wants us to live, right? So, um, yeah, just thank you for, for sharing that. Um, what would you say to someone who was thinking about sponsoring a compassion child this morning? I remember someone asking me a question. If you were to describe who God is to you, who is God to you? I would answer them like this. Sponsoring a child is $38. It's really hard to imagine that my life is worth $38. Three Chick-fil-A meals for three people. Or a bag of dog food. 
for one week's visit to Starbucks. That is how much my life was worth. I'm forever changed. Because it's not just a dream, but it is a reality that I was released from poverty in Jesus' name. And poverty ended with me.